0: The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Joe. Good morning. Good to be with you. Um, let me pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of coming to your word this morning. We ask that you would speak to us um, through your word and by your spirit, that we might be people who truly follow you in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that Christians are future people. I know we're often thought of as past people. Uh, just look at the building we're in, 1874. Um We seem to have a long past. We sometimes wear weird costumes and certainly uh, in a progressive set of suburbs that we live in, we're seen as having really weird ideas that come from the past. But the truth is, and the Bible tells us, that we are future people. Now, that's important because sometimes even we can be captured by the past. We can think of things as they were and become comfortable and think, well, this is the way it should be and this is the way it should stay and this is the way we should continue. And yet, actually, we're future people. And we see that displayed for us in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want to think about three things. I want to think about the power to be a future people, the plan to be a future people, and the purpose of being a future People. Come with me to um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Somewhere my notes have disappeared. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Just have the, the passage in front of you. That will work. The passage begins this way. Um, and we'll just go back. The passage begins this way. The end of all things is near. Now you might remember, in a couple of years ago, we had this great picture, which was going to be on the screen. A great picture of Roger Fitz standing out on King Street in his clerical collar, holding a sign in the middle of King Street saying, "The end is nigh." You remember that? That's what it is. He stood out the front and held out the sign, "The end is nigh." Now that's what you think of when you read this passage: the end of all things is near. You kind of go, oh, okay, one of those kind of preachers. That's what we're going to get today. And yet I think what Peter's saying here is not that. What he's saying is the completion of all things has been unfolding and is near. God in his grace has been working out his plan throughout the ages and the all, all things are going to be brought to conclusion in time. God's the winner. He's in charge. The best part is yet to come. God is seeing that all things are coming to a conclusion. And I have that wonderful picture in Revelation chapter 21 where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, where people are gathered before the throne from all the nations. It's a wonderful picture of people gathering around to sing God's praises, to sing, worthy is the lamb. And we're being reminded here that the end of all things is near. We have a future. God has been working on his unfolding plan of grace throughout the years. We heard that in Samuel this morning from our Samuel reading. That despite what the people of Israel did, despite the way they acted, God continued to work out his plans and purposes. And that's what he's doing now. God continues to work out things. That makes us our future people looking forward to the future, looking forward to what God is going to do. Not sitting in a waiting room, waiting for it, but actually part of God's unfolding plan for the future. And that's what Peter is reminding us of, that we are part of God's plan for the future when the end of all things is near. And he says, therefore, be alert and sober of mind. Get your thinking, your understanding aligned with reality. Uh, The picture here is kind of a similar sort of picture as painted in Mark chapter 5. You might remember the man who was possessed by uh, demons, And Jesus casts out the demons and uh, 2,000 pigs, all that bacon, run into the sea. Imagine all that bacon, that's a lot of bacon. Anyway, 2,000 pigs run into the sea. And the people come out afterwards from the village and they find him sitting in his right mind with the correct view of reality. And that's what we're being called to here. The end of all things is near. You have a future. You are called to be a people, a future people. And, therefore, be alert, be thinking rightly and understanding what's going on, be aligned with the reality that is God's about this world and what is taking place. Now, frequently circumstances tempt us to think that actually what's taking place is not in God's long-term plan. And we get distracted and we keep thinking that God's doing other things and God doesn't know what he's doing. But here we're reminded, actually, get your mind in light with reality. God has a plan and he's working his purposes out. As one Peter continues, he, as Peter continues, he says, "So that you may pray." Or another way of actually stating the same thing is, "So that you can attend to your prayers." Now, that's a really interesting phrase to finish with, isn't it? The end of all things is near; therefore, be alert of and of sober mind, and attend to your prayers. One of the most difficult and yet beautiful steps in our maturity as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, is embracing the fact that we have a range of disabilities within our own life. The scriptures are incredibly clear that we are people of weakness. We struggle all the time. And that to God's honour and God's glory, his strength is displayed in our weakness. And yet so often we continue to go on this journey as though we have the strength, not God. We act as if he is not our strength. And so this attention to prayer, this attending to prayers, in light of God's ultimate plan, in light of what he's working out, calls us to embrace our weaknesses, to live in light of our weaknesses, to come before him and trust in his provision, his love, his presence. Prayer is one of those rhythms of life that calls us to remember the reality that is, that we live and breathe and move in him. It calls us to come before him and fall on our knees and say, we cannot do this by ourselves. And as we pray, we are shaped into the likeness of God. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when they asked what to pray? He gave them the Lord's Prayer. And if you think about the Lord's Prayer and what it has to say, it's a way of shaping us. It's a way of us adjusting our reality, adjusting what we see as reality, adjusting the way we see things to be more in line with what God is doing and has done, so that we can look into the future and understand what is going on. And so, in many ways, it's not a surprise that Peter calls us to this idea of attending to our prayers. Because it takes us to our knees, recognizing the weakness that we have, recognizing our dependence on what on God in all things, because the end of all things is near. Well, as Peter continues to speak, we move from thinking about the power of being a future people to the plan of being a future people. One of, the, one of the things I have difficulty with sometimes is connecting that God's big story with my own life. It feels like a gigantic thing. I can be a future people. Okay, what does that actually mean? How does God's plan unfolding throughout the centuries and throughout time, what does that look like for his church? What does it look like for his people? What does it look like for me? How does that actually work? And one of the challenges I think we have is connecting ourselves with that big picture. Well, what Peter tells us is that we're connected with that picture big pit, uh, picture of what God is doing in every moment and in every conversation that we have. We discover that God actually has a purpose and a plan for us in the midst of all of that. And Peter gives us a glimpse of that. He talks about our life together as God's people, and throughout the book, he's been talking about our lives in the everyday. Let's first of all look at our lives together. In verse 8 we read, Above all, this is how it works out, this is what the plan is in terms of being a future people. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, the The picture here is people who deeply and genuinely love each other. Take time to care and take time to know other people, to understand what it's like to walk in their shoes, to be able to support them and pray for them and encourage them and build them up. It's a genuine and deep love. And then he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know about you, but I automatically think, Oh, okay, I get it. That means I've just got to put up with people, kind of bury things, not notice things like, yeah, love's going to be needed to cover a multitude of things in this congregation. Wow. Have you ever felt that? That's not the point at all. Okay? If you've got that point, that's not the, what's going on here. Actually, it's something even more brilliant than that, much more brilliant. In fact, it's not talking about covering us covering up things. Because, in fact, love doesn't work like that, does it? If you genuinely love someone, you want to bring the truth of the gospel into their lives. You want to speak the truth in love. And sometimes that can be difficult. Sometimes that uncovers things that are difficult, uncovers things that are challenging. And yet that's the loving thing to do. Imagine a surgeon turning up and saying, I noticed you've got a tumour. That tumour is growing, but look, I really don't want to. Yeah, that'll involve cutting and 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 stuff, and that'll be painful, and you know, like, and, and emotionally, you'll have to go through a whole lot of stuff to deal with it. How about we just leave it? We'd be astounded that that's not loving. That growth needs to be taken out. Something needs to be done here. The most loving thing is actually to treat what's taking place to help the person through those emotional difficulties, through the physical difficulties that may come, but still to act. Love frequently actually involves us in doing difficult things, not covering up things, not accepting all kinds of behaviour. It requires us to act. But where does that come from? What does this covering up mean? Well, I think we get a clue when we look at passages like Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. The kind of covering we're talking about here, the covering up, is something that Jesus has done on our behalf. Before God, our sinfulness is laid bare. It's clear that we've sinned against Him, against others, against our world. But because we were stripped bare in front of God, Jesus was taken to the cross and laid bare on the cross for our transgressions, so that we might be forgiven so that we might be covered with his righteousness. That's the kind of covering that we're talking about here. Because love covers a multitude of sins. It's speaking about Jesus' love for us in his death. It's speaking about what Jesus did on our behalf. And it's because of what Jesus did, and in light of what Jesus did, And as that sinks deep into our hearts, that we love because he first loved us. When we're called to love each other deeply, it's because of the sacrificial love of Jesus and what he's done for us. For the way he's covered us in his death. For what he's done for us and the way he's clothed us in his righteousness. And it's in light of that that Peter can then go on to call us to think about what it means to act that out in love towards one another. And so in verse 9 he continues, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, Open your home. Let people come in. Have a meal together. And don't do the classic thing afterwards like, Oh, really? Did we have to have them? You know, that kind of, Oh, did you hear what they sent? No, no. Welcome people openly into your homes because of love. And so we have eat, pray, love. Did you notice? Actually, it's the other way around, isn't it? Pray, love, eat. And actually, that 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 that's important because it means that we're actually dependent on God's grace as we love and as we eat together. Verse 10, then, goes on to say a bit more. Each of you should faithful stewards this is God acting in history because the end of time is near and we're called not to sit in a waiting room but to act as stewards of God's grace in its various forms we heard the great illustration with the toolbox here earlier how God wants to use us individually and differently in different purposes and different ways. And guess what? We have a ministry fair afterwards. No accident that we have this passage, but ministry fair afterwards that's thinking about how we might act and continue to serve one another in various ways. Peter has two things in mind. He thinks of speaking and he thinks of doing. And he calls us to act in those ways, in the ways that God has called to us, Uh, to act, to use those gifts because God has given them to us. And it's a beautiful picture he paints of what it means to be God's people who think about the future. Now can I say I'm just filled with with thankfulness and joy uh, with our congregations. I just see people serving all the time. I'm going to mention a few here. It's not everybody and it's not my favourites, okay? So I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to say God is so gracious towards us and he's given us so many gifts as a church, it's wonderful to see how people are using them. I give, I'm filled with thankfulness and joy for people like Regina and Roger Abrams and Braun and Liz, people who behind the scenes have helped us with rostering. That's not even all of them. That's just some of them, people who just get on with putting us on rosters and getting us to church on time and all those sorts of things. I think of Nick Williams who helps feed musicians. Now, I bet you didn't know. I bet she didn't know she does that. She helps us with all the stuff that's to do with uh, registering our songs and making sure that we pay for our songs. And as we register our songs and as we register our music, musicians get fed. That's the way they eat. We can give thanks to God for what she does. Annie Thompson, using her gifts with hospitality and integration. Alex Gartner using her gifts of mercy and love to care about those in need over and over again. Jeanette Thrussell who cares for one of the older members of our congregation. Musicians. You see these musicians up the front? There's a whole pile of them. You may be one of them. I'm so thankful for our musicians. They get to practice early. They come here early. Why do they come so early? Well, I guess they don't want to stuff it up. But actually, it's more than that. It's so we can concentrate on singing God's praises to God himself and to one another so that they don't get in the road. This morning, our musicians were here two hours early and they also met during the week just to help us sing God's praises. That, is ama- that happens over and over again, week by week. If you have a struggle getting out of bed in the morning, think of the musos. They're early, they're here, an hour at least, or an hour and a half before church services. It is so encouraging to see people using their gifts. I love the, the 20 to 30 Bible study leaders that we have. The opportunities for us to meet in people's homes. I love the hundreds of meals that have been served uh, from women at Urco and Newtown and other places, just, just supporting and caring for people just genuinely in the background, making sure people are looked after in their time of need. This year, did you know that people in our cottage church, the smallest congregation, not the richest congregation by any means, paid someone's airfare back to Germany so they could f- uh, visit their daughter who was in significant who had significant health issues? They cared for someone in, their, in Cottage Church just like that. Out of their limited resources, they were generous. And of course, there's so many other things. There's We Belong, there's uh, Bikes for Asylum Seekers, there's Kids Ministry, there's people like Susan Have you Did you know that she's giving us a, about a day a week to coordinate community care and we're just seeing things grow in leaps and bounds? Think of people like Emily Della. Did you know that next year she might have a little bit more time and space? So this year she started planning for that. She started preparing to become a scripture teacher next year. Imagine that, someone thinking that far ahead. In two years' time I want to do this, so next year I'm going to do this. Isn't God great? The people he's given us the way he's been raising up people to use their gifts in love for one another as evidence of God's grace amongst us. Just this week, Matt Cox, one of our wardens who puts hours and hours in anyway, took another half day off work to come and help us think about a master plan for both our sites. These things are happening all the time and I probably haven't mentioned you but you are too serving uh, in so many different ways. It's so wonderful to see that we are acting as a a people with a future, a future people in our life together. It is a marvellous thing and can I encourage you to keep doing it. It brings so much joy to those who you serve. And we can sing God's praises because of what you're doing. But you know, Peter actually, as he unfolds all of this, doesn't only speak about the church. In this part of the, uh, the epistle, he's speaking specifically about the church, but throughout the book, he actually has an insight as to what it means to live in this world as well. And I just want to mention briefly uh, his vision there. He says, um, live such good lo- lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits what it means for us to be a future people is not to only live with one another, but to also have a, a view on what's taking place in the world around us. To live such good lives that even though people might accuse us of doing, good, doing wrong, we will still bring glory to God in the end. And I just love seeing that unfold too. I could give you lots and lots of stories of why pe- people are doing that. Let me just mention one to you this, one this morning. Throughout, the, throughout this year, Alex and Jill have been, two doctors from our evening congregation, have been doing Gotham. And they've been thinking all year about how uh, their lives are shaped by the gospel of grace. Uh, Gotham's are a wonderful program to think about that and to think about how that might shape your workplace and what you do in your workplace. Sadly, they're moving on to Dubbo next year. But guess what? Just week, this week I heard. That as they thought about what they were going to do in Dubbo, as they thought about what it meant for them to be GPs in Dubbo, what shaped their thinking? The gospel of grace. The decisions that they made were because they are a future people. They understood what it meant to serve in in that community. They've made decisions about where they'll live and how they'll work and what they'll do based on how God's grace can be evident in what they do and how people can come to know and love Jesus. That's what we're all called to do in all of our lives, in everything we do. As Matt mentioned earlier, we are in a unique place as a church. Our research has shown that we're pretty central to quite a lot of different things and we're pretty central to a place that wants to subvert the narratives of this city. Keep Newtown Weird tells us that we would like to challenge the assumptions of life that are in our city. What a better place to be the future people filled with grace committed to seeing whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Wouldn't it be wonderful to subvert the narrative of this city with the gospel of grace? To see people moving out from here like a river. You know that picture of Ezekiel's river in uh, chapter 47 where there's a picture of Salty water bringing fresh life wherever it goes and healing and branches and water being drunk. Where there's people coming to life as the result of God's power and grace for them. Or wouldn't it be wonderful if we were a church where people flowed out into our city and into our world, where we changed the narrative of this world. Where as a future people, through our conversations and through our actions, we brought the gospel to bear in people's lives. But there's something more to say. That may be true. We can be part of God's purpose here in what we say and the way we, we live. But there's a purpose of being a future people. Uh, This week I met a man called George Savides. He was uh, in charge of Medibank and managed to bring it from a not-for-profit organisation to a very profitable organisation. Now, whatever you think of that process, uh, he led a whole organisation to change its shape and its future. And one of the things he said is, when he took over the organisation, it was an insurance company. And people believed that its purpose was to insure people. He said, but through the process, they discovered that the purpose of their company was not insurance, but it was for better health. They wanted to see people with better health. And he said, once they made that switch from we're an insurance company to we're a people for better health the whole company transformed. Because suddenly people had a purpose. And you may not agree and there may be other things going on, but you can see what he's getting at, can't you? You can see that if you have a purpose, all of a sudden you can serve in completely different ways. And so Peter says this, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. Remember? God provides the strength for us to do this. Embracing all our weaknesses, coming before him in prayer, acknowledging what Christ has done, clothing us in his righteousness. But listen to the purpose of this. It's not for our glory. It's not so that we can say, Newtown, Erskineville, Anglican churches have done amazing things. It's not about that at all. It's so that in all things God may be praised, through Christ, through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. To him. That is our driving purpose. So that people may praise God, that we may praise God through Jesus Christ. That his glory may be recognized. That he may have the power forever and ever. It's about him, it's not about us. And so this morning I invite you, as we consider these things together, as we think about what 1 Peter has said, to come to your knees and to pray, to entrust yourselves to the one who knows our future, to love, yes, to eat, yes, to serve, yes, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ.